welcome. Prepare your heart as we dive into the Word of God. Pastor Steve of Beloved Church in Lena, Illinois is about to lead you into a life-changing encounter with grace and truth. Jesus Christ has a divine destiny perfectly orchestrated for those who are willing to be adventurous enough to receive His favor and blessing into their life. Our prayer is that you will allow the presence of the comforting Holy Spirit of God to radically display the Father's love for you. You are a part of God's beloved family, and that means you are greatly loved. Now over to Pastor Steve. I could spend a lot of time talking about a lot of stuff, but I really want to get to this. So, uh, in a little bit, I'm going to invite Doc Ryan up. Um, we're, I'm going to end today's time with uh, a really important theological doctrine that will take a ton more development than neither I nor Doc Ryan can do in an hour or 10, because it's a, it's a massive subject. It is a Bible-wide subject. Those of you that got the Thursday email, <laughs> and were completely exhilarated and thankful for it and knocked over with appreciation that you got it. For those of you that didn't get it, or didn't read it, or just deleted it, because you don't like my name, or the beloved church, I printed some copies off back there by Hopi, because it's going to go into some, uh, a little bit of a development of this concept, this precept, because it does go from page one to page end of the scriptures. This theological concept is in there. One of my desires in, the, in part two today of the message that I started two weeks ago, three weeks ago, which was part one, is to try to get our entire church together in a unity of faith. Because I know that the, the backgrounds that this room represents of people that have come from who knows what you've come from is, is as numerous as the people in the room and the people that are watching. It's literally that wide. There's 47,000 Christian denominations, and then you got umpteen things that aren't. And so the, the, the idea that most of you came from what I came from and kind of believe what I believe, and then you've heard me listen, and you've, and you've picked up all the little breadcrumbs that I've dropped over 10 years, the reality of that is nil. And I recognize that, and so I kind of want to fix that. So we're all, I'm going to try to bring us all into a general unified place of belief as it relates to the area of salvation. Kind of important. Okay. The two main camps are once saved, always saved. I won't, I won't say who leads that camp, but they might be Baptist. <laughs> Bob was one of those. We, <laughs> man, God said, you either die or you go to beloved. <laughs> and he did both. <laughs> uh, so the two main camps are once saved, always saved, and save, lost, save, lost, save, lost, save, lost. That would be the Pentecostal bunch that say, hey, did you sin this week? Oh, you're going to hell. Get up here to the altar and cry it out. Are you good? All right, now don't sin. And then dang it on Thursday, you did it again. So you're going to hell between Thursday and Sunday. And you're just waiting for the preacher. Altar call, altar call, altar call. Okay. And I didn't die in between. And I'm making fun of both. 
because they're both idiot. They're. <laughs> there is not good hermeneutics in either of those two philosophies because you have scriptures. The reason there's two main ones is because you got a bunch of scriptures that make it sound like one saved, always saved, and you got a bunch of scriptures that make it sound like you have a responsibility to live by faith every day. So how do we harmonize that? So I started this in part one uh, about three weeks ago. So those of you that weren't here or you need to brush up, please go re-listen to that message because this is going to be part two. This is the hero within. The someone, someone had their Wheaties and got a hero today. This, uh, this message is the chosen ones, part two. And I, this is something I've been working on at least 25 years. So you get to reap the benefit of me having maybe hundreds or thousands of hours of meditation, study, uh, deep exegesis on these matters. And the, here's something that really super blesses me. Me and Doc Ryan are like almost perfectly in sync with these ideas and we didn't even know each other for the first 15 years that I was going through that. That tells you that the Bible is so key to understanding the things of God because there's few people that I know on this earth that have a, a love and a commitment to the scriptures like Doc Ryan. And wouldn't you know, magically, pixel, pixie dust sprinkled on both of us and we ended up coming to the same conclusions just by studying the same Bible when we didn't even know each other for 15 years. So what can happen to you? Psalm 16:3, the godly people in the land, they are my true heroes. God is desiring for you to be a true hero. Remember, Jesus said that God is looking for those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. God is all about authenticity, and God hates hypocrisy. Hates it. Go through the Gospels and find out who Jesus blasted. It was the hypocrites or the people that were hypocritical, like sometimes his own disciples. If you were a, an adulteress caught in the act, he gave you grace and mercy and defended you. But if you could quote the Bible cover to cover and you came up in your hip hypocritical ways and you challenged him, he blasted you, you were a whitewashed sepulcher filled with dead man's bones, you were a viper, you were a snake. That's Jesus saying that. You know, the loving Jesus that sits in the back of the Sunday school on the big mural and he's petting a sheep and blonde-haired blue eyes from Hollywood, that's the guy. Everything in the, in the kingdom revolves around real, sincere authenticity. That's why Jeremiah 29, man, I'm not going to get off track in Jesus' name. I did a Zoom on Thursday, and this Zoom on Thursday, about 15 minutes in, like the Holy Spirit basically took over, and I was on autopilot, and it was incredible. If you want a copy of that, I still have a copy of it. I can send it to you. You just have to send me a message, and I'll get it over to you. But Jeremiah 29... 
Almost everybody knows 11 because you got the coffee cup and the sticker on your refrigerator that tells you Jeremiah 29 11. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, thoughts of good and not of evil, to give you an expected end or a hope in a future, depending on your version. But most people have no clue the context, which was the judgment of God being poured out in Jeremiah 29 for his people doing stupid stuff for a long time. And that's why they were suffering in the punishment of judgment in Babylon. There's Babylon again. And right in the middle of all this judgment being pronounced on them, God like interrupts himself. And he says, man, but I know what I want to do for you. I want to take you to your divine destiny. I want to show you your future that I have for you. I have this hope for you. But you're doing all this. And then he says, but it can all change anytime you want. Verse 12 is like, it can all change anytime you want. And then verse 13 says, all you got to do is seek me. And you'll find me. But you have to do it with all your heart. And I'll be honest with you, in modern progressive churchianity that we have today, you ain't done nothing with all your heart. Nothing. We don't even know, we don't even have a grid for that kind of language. All my heart. No, I, I have a job that's got to have half my heart. And I got a, a spouse that has to have half my heart. And I got a cat. <laughs> and why doesn't God do stuff for me? Why don't I have some of these promises that are in the Bible? Why is God unjust to me? Why is God unfaithful to me? Yeah, it's God. That's your problem. Your problem is God. The problem is, is that our hearts are so used to being divided. And the next shiny object comes along, and the next shiny object, and the next shiny object, and all we do is we spend 50, 60, 70 years chasing the next flash. And then God comes along and says, I want all your heart. You're like, okay, you can have all my heart. Like all of this part of my heart. No, 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 all your heart. Okay, you can have all of this part. All your heart. I don't know what to do with that. All your heart. That means he gets all your finances. Did you hear the oxygen just suck out of the room? No, 10%. No, all of it. But it's mine. Okay. Good luck with that. Mm -hmm. Hope it keeps you warm at night. All your finances. All your emotions. No, because I have pills for my depression. All your emotions. Mm -hmm. All your relationships. Now, no, you've gone too far. Because I've got these friends that I've had since high school. And I, I'm telling you, I would die for these folks. You might. You might end up dying for those folks. All your relationships. You know, God has a version of your marriage <laughs> that you might not even know about. If he gets all your marriage, all means all. Greek and Hebrew. All your art. You do that. I promise you, Jesus said, in Matthew 6, 30, 33, if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things. And we're chasing after the things thinking we're being good little Christians. He just wants you to chase after him. 
The godly people in the land, they're my true heroes. I, God, takes pleasure in them. You can be pleasing to God. You can give God pleasure with your life. That is so radical, so radical to me. The opposite's true too. Colossians 1.27, God did this because he wanted you, formerly known as Gentiles, but now known as the beloved, he wanted you, the beloved, to understand his wonderful and glorious mystery. He's got mysteries that he wants you to know about. He's got secrets that he wants to sit down with his best friend and whisper them to you and share these secrets with you. And you and him can be like, wow, that is amazing. Yeah, and wait till I show you the really big stuff. And that mystery is that Christ lives in you. <laughs> and for some of us in this room today, it's still mysterious. Wait, wait, where, what? Jesus is where? Christ lives in you. He's not like a coin in your wallet, or a, I guess we don't have coins. He's not a bill in your wallet, like some physical thing that you're carrying around. It's the God of the universe that lives with you in this divinely mysterious commingling of your life and his life and your spirit and his spirit. It's amazing and mysterious and true. And, so, and when we pray, you can tell that a lot of people don't get this because when you see them or hear them pray, you know they're praying out there to something or someone out there and not praying to him in here. And he is your hope in sharing in God's glory. A defining characteristic of a courageous or a brave person is their submission to do the right thing. This is what I was crying out after or during worship about forgiveness. It takes courage and bravery to do things like forgiveness. Why you think the world just lives, we're on the precipice, they're trying to push us into World War III. Why? Because it's so easy to tell everybody to hate everybody. You should hate, I don't know, who are we supposed to hate today? China, Russia, Whatever, pick, pick your person that you're supposed to hate depending on which newscaster tells you who to hate. And it's, it's immediate, yeah, yeah, we, we should, yes, let's hate them. Why? Because they said so. Really? Really? And then the enemy comes, you know your wife doesn't treat you the way you should be treated by a woman. Yeah, you should hate her. Well, I don't think I have the permission to hate her but I'll go right to the edge of hate. <laughs> if you adopt it in one place of your heart, you can do it in another place of your heart. <laughs> That's why the enemy wants this to be so rampant in our world. It's not just because he wants World War III, obviously he does, but he wants World War III in your home, in your heart, in your life, because you're destroyed. And when you're destroyed, you're easily controlled. Heroes do hard things. And I'm in a room filled with heroes. Amen? Amen. Humanity is hardwired for the heroic. Hardwired. Mm -hmm. DNA created. Birthed for. Amen. 
recreated for. Why? Because you were created in the image and the likeness of God. You bear, you carry the image of God, and God is the hero. Every other hero got heroic characteristics from the one true and living God. The most high God is the hero of the whole universe. He's the one that rescued all of humanity, all by himself, on a tree, He's the hero. If your image of hero does not flow through him, then you have a wrong version of hero. And a lot of people have wrong version of hero. There's a lot of doctors that are out there that think themselves to be heroic because they're going to be the only person in their state or in their county that's willing to cut the body parts off of children. And they think that's heroic. They think they're being courageous. They're doing a new thing for this new way in, soci in, in society so that they can help. They believe themselves to be heroes. If your image of hero is not aligned with the hero, Jesus Christ, your image is broken. Amen. And you need a new mirror. The mirror is the word of God. A hero of God defines themselves by God's definition of hero. That means we become what God desires us to be. As I'm pressing into this message that you have a hero within, I believe at the other end of this series, there's a hero without. Because I press so hard on that hero on the inside of you that it just came out every pore of your body, and now you're a hero on the inside and hero on the outside. The journey to heroism always starts with a defining moment. Maybe for some of you, it's today. A defining moment where a difficult choice comes. Do you go this way or do you go this way? Most of you in here, when you hear me say that, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You can remember back to that moment to where it was, do I go with God or not? And maybe right now you have another opportunity, another moment that you make a choice. This could be your heroic defining moment. And that choice to do the right thing is going to be difficult. But you have to make a choice. If you choose right, the journey will end. If you choose right, the journey will end with you dying. You want me to make it feel better? You want me to rub some monkey butt powder on it? You want me to tickle your ears with cool language and, and be seeker sensitive with you this morning? No, you'll, everything will be wonderful and, and you'll have rainbows and butterflies and Jesus and unicorns and pixie dust and it'll be super awesome. You'll be crazy rich. Everybody will love you. Your Facebook profile will blow up because everybody's now your friend. No, you make the right choice, you'll die. That's the end. The end is you die. And you couldn't have a better end. The best end you could possibly have is laying your life down for your best friend, Jesus. He did it for you. 
I can promise you in heaven, he's not crying tears of sorrow that he did the thing. The rewards go way beyond what this world offers. What makes one person a cho what makes one person to be chosen as a hero versus another? I, I, I hate to talk like this, but it's just legitimate that there, there, are, there are people in this room that are sitting next to a person. You're one chair over from a person. One of you will be a hero, one of you not. What's the difference? My preaching? Your Bible version? Your age? Your color? Your size? It's going to be the internal choice of what you do. For some of you, life has put a ring in your nose like a bull and has taken all of your power and lead you wherever they want with a little bit of pain applied at the right moment in the right way. And you can take a 2,500 pound, I don't know how big a bull is, big bull, and you can lead a great big huge bull around with a little bitty ring because it doesn't want that pain. And some of you are God-sized people on the inside. The enemy leads you around a little bitty ring, a little bit of pain. And just make sure that pain is just applied at the right way, at the right time, in the right moment, from the right person, and you just stay a subservient little bull laying on the ground, getting kicked, walked on, waiting to be made into hamburger. The difference between those that fall away and do not believe have a peripheral Christian life. That word's important. Peripheral. That means the main part of your life is all the other stuff. And then right here around the edge, you got a little bit of Jesus. Right? He's like the frosting on your awesome life. And you don't even really need it. You know, if you're like me, you don't even like frosting. You scrape it all off and you just eat the cake. And, and a lot of people are doing that. They got just enough frosting on it to make it look right, right? Because you're here at Beloved Church. You're in the purple chairs. Check the box. Way to go. You're awesome. And the main part of your life is this center thing that really we all know that that's really what happens in your life. But got all this frosting on it, and so because all the frosting is there, and everybody knows frosting tastes good, and it's beautiful, got a little fondant on it, got some designs on it, little flowers. It's awesome, right? It's the center that matters. I would actually rather have it covered in dirt and the center good because I can scrape the dirt off. That's why I tell you incessantly, come in here, be real. Be real. Bring your garbage. Bring your sincerity. Bring your authenticity. Bring your brokenness. I don't care what you got. At least be real. Because if you're real, we can help. But if you cover it all up, you're going to fool us. Way to go, you fooled us. And you're still broken. But you fooled us. Let me ask you this. Did you fool us or you?
Those folks that have a peripheral Christian life do not enter into his rest. They're the ones that stay laboring and laboring and wandering and wandering, and they wonder why they never get to the promised land. You can see it. It's right over there. Bob's got it, so it's got to be close. How do I get, you keep getting, it's like a mirage, if you've ever seen a mirage. It, you get, you know, oh, there it is. Why does it keep moving at the exact same distance away from me as it was the first time I seen it? They do not know how to enter into his rest. This is the kind of people that Jesus said, depart from me, for I never knew you. Uh, just real quick, let me say that. This, this was something that weighed heavy on my heart for a long time. Like, why would Jesus do that? That is so mean. Depart from me, I never knew you. And think about the people that he was talking to. They cast out demons in his name. Uh, statistically, about 10% of this church has ever cast out a demon. And then it was probably just from straight fear. Ah, get out. Oh, it worked. <laughs> People showed up to Jesus and said, have we not cast out demons in your name? Have we not prophesied in your name? Statistically, maybe 20%, 30% of this church has ever prophesied. They, they gave a list that would probably disqualify most of this church, and they showed up and they said, hey, we did all these things in your name. And Jesus said, depart from me. What? Depart, I did stuff that people in Beloved Church didn't even do. Well, awesome. Depart from me. And I literally did spiritual dyslexia where I thought he said, depart from me for you never knew me. That was my spiritual dyslexia on that verse that happened for probably 10 years. And then one day I read it. Shocking what happens when you read the Bible. <laughs> He said, depart from me, for I never knew you. Whoa, whoa, whoa. God knows everything. This word for knew is, I, didn't look, I haven't looked it up lately, but I believe it's nosco or gnosko, and it literally means deep, intimate, personal, experiential knowledge. It's the same word used on the wedding night consummation. Jesus never had a chance to move that deeply into your life. Right? Because we're good with the frosting. Lord, you don't have to come all the way into my heart. Let's not really talk about the money or the emotions or the relationships or all that kind of stuff. Let's just do the spiritual stuff. He never knew you. You never let him all the way in. But Lord, if you get all the way in there and you see that one thing on there, you're not going to be very happy. <laughs> you know I died for that one thing on the inside of you. I actually would be happy to come in there and get rid of it. But you're gonna, it's going to be so embarrassing for me. Oh, how about humility and submission? Do you think that you're really... You think Jesus is going to look at you and find something out about you and say, oh my God, that, oh, you're <laughs> out. <laughs> you know he knows, right? right. You know he knows. <laughs> he already kn He knew before you did it. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He 
already wants to get into that thing because he loves you so much, he wants it out. He doesn't want to go in there and make fun of you because of it. He wants to go in there and rescue you from it. Amen. Depart from me, for I never knew you. And in the, in the Bible, we have language that's like, fall away, crucify the son afresh, and apostate. These are words that should be gripping on our hearts. So these are New Testament words that talk about people, Christians. You do know the whole New Testament was written to Christians, right? When Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock, he wasn't talking about an evangelistic sermon that's going to be used to all the Muslims in Pakistan. He was saying, hey, church, reading the book of Revelation, I stand at your door and I knock on your door. No, Jesus, you can come in anywhere you want. Listen, I do personal discipleship, and if Jesus goes everywhere you think that he has permission to go, you would be awesome. But all the people that tell me, oh, Pastor Steve, you can come in. You can say anything you want to about my life. Okay. No. No, no, no. I'm not stupid enough to believe you, and neither are you. I know you want that. That's your heart. But listen, this is so important. I pray you get this. I've been saying this for a decade, and I know that a lot of people don't get it. But you do not ever judge yourself by your intentions. Don't ever do that because your intentions are always good. And so now you're going to go hurt somebody, and because you told yourself that you had good intentions, you're going to blame them. If my intentions are to, to take my laptop and, and go and hand it to someone that's new a week ago, Brittany Kurtz, if I, if I took my laptop and I was going to go hand it to her and while I was going to go, I'd trip down and whack, and I busted her nose. I don't get to say, well, suck it up, you wuss. I, my intentions were good. I was trying to give you my laptop. Why are you so upset? Why are you bleeding everywhere? Stop it. You're such a lame, immature Christian. Because my intentions were good. What's wrong with you? Okay, you hear that quiet? <laughs> we judge ourselves by our good intentions and we judge others by their fruits. Brittany would judge me like, dude, you slapped me in the face with a laptop. You broke my nose. I don't care what your intentions were. You know who's right? She is. I have the responsibility to clean that up. I have to pray for her. I have to clean the blood up. I have to repent and apologize, sackcloth and ashes, on bended knee. I got to do whatever it takes to make it right, even though my intentions were good, because the fruit was bad. Man, I hope you get this. It's the same way in the kingdom, y'all. You don't get to say, well, Jesus, I intended to serve you with all my heart. So therefore, you get to charge it to my account because my intentions were good. So you, you, you count that. That's what you count. No, he counts the fruit. <laughs> a a a amen? amen. Are, we, are we okay? Yeah. I don't want to see anybody with their switchblades out. Preacher, better back off. Matthew 22, and he said to his servants, verse 8, the wedding feast is ready, 
And we covered all this, so I'm just going to read through this and get you to the point that we made very purposefully last time. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you can find. This literally says that it is not based upon whether you qualify or not. He's looking for anybody. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. You know what was insinuated there? Some of the guests at the wedding were bad. Some of the people sitting at Beloved Church Sunday morning are bad. Oh, I'm sorry. Is everybody in here good? Nobody's in it. Oh, I don't know what to do here. <laughs> Verse 11, but when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man that had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, he was nice. Like Pastor Steve, super gracious, very loving and merciful friend. <laughs> Stop it. Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. You know why? Because in the presence of God, your excuses don't sound as, as awesome as you'd think they sound in your own head and your own heart. It's like the... It's like the prodigal son. He had this whole speech prepared and then he went and ran in front of his father and he's ready to spit out this speech. Uh, you know, please accept me as one of your servants. And, just, and the father's like, ah, come here. Grabbed him, hugged him, kissed him, pig stink and all. Got the robe, got the ring, got the sandals. He's my son. Some of your, some of your uh, speeches that you want to tell people in God, they're useless. Just go ahead and fall into the mercy of God. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot, cast him out into outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Like, slow down, Jesus. Little overreaction for a dude wearing the wrong clothes. Having the flesh flash, whoop. Jesus needs to take a chill pill, doesn't he? Or maybe this is real. Maybe this is the Bible. Maybe these aren't punchlines to jokes. And maybe we need to pay attention to this. It's up to you. You can do whatever you want, turn it into a comic book, or you can make it real. Jesus is very, very concerned about the condition of you when you get to the wedding feast. He's more concerned than you are. For many are called, few are chosen. Called is what we would say in English would be nominated. This is the word kletos in the Greek, and it literally means nominated. And so God nominates everybody on here, good and bad. If you're drawing air, God nominated you. I want them to be a part of my divine counsel. I want that person to be my son. I want that person to be daughter. I nominate them to get to the end, to overcome, to be successful and to be saved. Many are called, many are nominated, and few are chosen. This makes it sound like God's saying, you and not you and you and not you and you and not you. That is not what it means. It means that the, of the people nominated, only some of them show up for the election. Amen. How many people are not here this morning? What's the number? Do the math. Many are called. 
Which one of those people out there that are not here today did I send a letter to and said, you are not allowed to go to church today? Then why isn't the building full? Even though they're nominated to come in and experience the grace of God and to have a purple chair and, and have the love of the beloved family and experience all this and, and have forgiveness and, and great worship. And even though they're nominated for all that, some of them didn't show up. Why? As many people as you got is as many excuses as you got. Eclectos means chosen out. Elect, choice, select. Eclectos is where we get the word eclectic, which literally means this weird but very precious thing. Everybody in here, you got something eclectic. It's something weird that it only means something to you, but it's so precious. And that's you to God. Romans 2.11, there is no respect of persons with God. He doesn't respect your person, but he does respect your faith. Acts 17.30, in the times of ignorance, God overlooked. But now, anybody know what now means in the Greek? No. <laughs> but now he commands all people, does he, anybody know what all means in the Greek? Everywhere. Does anybody know what everywhere means in the Greek? Okay, you guys are good doing some good exegesis on this verse right now. So in the times of ignorance, God overlooked. You know what this means? When you were stupid, God said, that's all right. Everybody's stupid sometimes. Being stupid once is painful. Being stupid for the rest of your life is damnable. God's going to overlook your stupid. He's going to look past the times of ignorance, but now he commands all, everywhere, to go to a seeker-sensitive, oh, to repent. Hey, there's a word you're not going to hear in a lot of places. Repent. Because it's just not popular anymore. Repent, that's like old school, you know, hellfire damnation preaching and all. No, repent is what Jesus said when he showed up. Jesus said the word repent in Mark chapter 1. You know what chapter 1 means? The first chapter. <laughs> At the beginning of his messaging, repent. What did John the Baptist come out and say? Oh, you're so pretty. I love your hair. No, he comes out, repent. Get in the water. Die. <laughs> Die. <laughs> We've been nominated by the king as a chosen people to be his heroes for such a time as this. Such a time as this. The best is yet to come. The chosen one has chosen you. Amen. Romans 10, we went through all this, so I'm not going to go through Romans 10, but please read through these. These are the verses that we use for salvation. What I want to highlight in Romans chapter 10, the, the part that everybody... Um, draws into is Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God or the word of Christ. And then verse 13, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is, Romans 10 is like the Romans road to salvation. But I, wanna, I want you to understand that next time you read through Romans 10, please notice something that happens on nearly every one of those verses. Faith. Faith. In other words, you, it's not a checkbox. I did the prayer. There's not even a prayer in Romans 10, just so you know. Salvation didn't happen by the prayer that you prayed at youth camp. 
It didn't happen because your parents dipped you or sprinkled you when you were eight years old. Faith. You know what faith is? Faith is active, present. It's not the faith you had. It's not the faith you will have. Faith. 1 Peter 2, chapter 4. This is new territory right here, so drill in. As you came to him, the living stone. Jesus is the living stone. Rejected by men. <laughs> are you following that? You know Jesus was rejected? If he was rejected, how are you going to be? If he was hated, how are you going to be? If he was crucified, how are you going to be? Some of you are like, I'm not saying this stuff because I don't like it. I don't care if you like it. Jesus said it. If they hated me, they'll hate you. If they killed me, they'll kill you. Are you prepared for this? Well, no, no, I thought I was coming to the gospel, the good news. <laughs> it is good news. Some of you need to die. I know you. <laughs> A good death would do you good. <laughs> Rejected by men. I'm, I'm totally okay if evil people reject me because I'm not their kind. And I'm okay with just a few people accept me. If they're righteous people, if they're godly people, I'd rather be accepted by a few righteous, godly people than be accepted by the world filled with ungodly people. If I fit in with ungodly people, then I don't fit in with holy people. Rejected by men, but chosen and precious in God's sight. What are you in God's sight? Chosen and precious. If that disagrees with what you've seen in the mirror this morning, I would encourage you to go with God's opinion. Amen. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. A spiritual house. Not a spiritual... Uh, what's a one-bedroom apartment? A studio. Man, I am ripping it. You're not a, you're not a spiritual studio apartment. Because a lot of Christians want to live that way. Just me and Jesus. We're good. We don't need all them Christians. I don't like them anyway. No, you're being built into a spiritual house. A great big house filled with lots of people. Some of them you're like, eh, can I sit on the other side of the building? Yeah, that's fine. But you got to love them. Okay, I'll love them by faith. I'm okay with that. I love people by faith. Shouldn't have said that out loud. <laughs> you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Who's the priest in here, me or you? Amen. Don't let the, this world that's filled with titles change your opinion of what you're called to do. You're called to be a holy priest who is of royal lineage. Dr. Pastor Steve Castle ain't higher than that. That's the highest. That's the highest. Royal priesthood. Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it says in scripture, see, I lay his own, I lay in Zion a stone, a chosen and precious cornerstone. And the one who believes, the one who what? In him will never be put to shame. So you, if you're in shame, guess what the Bible just said you're not doing? Oh boy. <laughs> You'll have to unpack that later. I'm not preaching on that. I'm just showing you a really cool place in the scripture that says that your shame is probably due to you not having belief in Jesus. 
To you who believe then, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. What the world rejects becomes the foundation of what God accepts. Verse 8, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. A rock of offense. Well, nobody would be offended in Jesus because he's just so wonderful and kind and loving and we all love him, really. You know John the Baptist, the last thing on John the Baptist's heart before he died was to send his disciples to Jesus to say, are you really the one? And if you don't believe me, go look it up. Matthew chapter 11, verses 3 through 6. He sent his disciples to say, are you really the Messiah? Are you really the one? You know, and Jesus was so kind and so gracious to his cousin, who was also the main minister in the land that day, who presided over one of the greatest revivals ever. And Jesus was so kind. He said, go tell John, I'm the one, man. No, he said, huh, and ignored the disciples and their question and went and healed a bunch of people. And after probably all day long of doing regular Jesus ministry, he came back to the disciples and said, hey, uh, go tell John what you've seen. And, he adds to it, and blessed is he who's not offended in me. What? Well, that's not very nice. John just wanted to know. Just had a question. Jesus treats questions differently depending on how they come out of a person's heart. John was doubting. And Jesus had zero permission for John to be doubting. And he sent back a pretty rough message. Tell John to stop the offense in me and, show, and tell him what you just seen. And you know what John did? <clears throat> Jesus, I hate that church. I'm quitting that church. Get me a nicer pastor. Now you know what John did? Repented. <laughs> he did his own message. He wasn't a hypocrite. He told people to repent. Kingdom of God is at hand. And, G and John the Baptist repented and he received the kingdom of God and he went into glory. And I'll guarantee you, John the Baptist is a popular dude in heaven right now. Amen. Praise God. And then it says, a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, they stumble because they disobey the word. Man, I hope you get this. They stumble because they disobey the word. What makes you stumble? Disobedience to the word. Now, this is a revelation that I got no time to give you, but if you get this, I'm going to do this fast, and if you get this, this is a life changer. The word for stumble here is apitho. I mean, uh, for disobey is apitho. Apitho has a on the front of pitho. Pitho is the word that is most translated trust. So this means they didn't trust or antitrust. Now, why would you translate it disobey if it was didn't trust? Because they're the same in God's eyes. <laughs> Man, when I seen this, this changed my life. Because I thought I was struggling with unbelief. I thought I was struggling with not believing, not having faith. What I was really struggling with was being disobedient to the truth. Man, if you get that, that will change you. Apetho, if you look it up, it means to disobey, to rebel. 
Being disloyal. Oh, boy. Refuse conformity to God. Well, I know God wants me to live sexually pure, but I don't really feel like doing it right now. I'm going to go ahead and play this out as long as I want to. I'm going to do it my way. God will be okay. He'll forgive me. I hope so. If you're putting all your trust in the fact that hopefully God will forgive you for the stuff that you know that you're doing wrong, you are already in dangerous territory. Amen. Not to allow oneself to be persuaded. These are the people that will not allow themselves to be persuaded. All these notes are back there. You can get these definitions. Not to comply with. A, to refuse or withhold belief. B, to refuse belief and obedience. Do you notice belief and obedience are over and over and over in the definition of how this works? That's why there's this huge doctrine that goes from cover to cover on your Bible that is called, Dr. Heiser calls it uh, believing loyalty. My personal way that I like to say it is faith allegiance. It is you are allegiant to God in your faith and it never stops. You don't go unto under other gods. I don't go to the God of entertainment at the end of my day because I've earned it. I stay with Yahweh. I don't go to the God of lust because, you know, now's the time that me and Kay need to do the thing. So I need to go visit the God of lust and get some pointers. I don't go visit the God of mammon because I got to do the natural financial thing on this planet and then when I'm done with the God of mammon, I'll go back to Yahweh, to Jesus. Because right. a lot of people live their lives this way. They got about five, six, seven, eight, nine gods in their life and they visit their gods based upon what they need to do. The God of news, how's that one? Ooh. So I'm going to have Doc Ryan come up because I want to talk about and I didn't give him very much time, so I apologize. The, the Shema is a, uh, a very important part of uh, Hebrew tradition, and they said the Shema three times a day in a Hebrew home. And the Shema was, Hear, O Israel, out of Deuteronomy chapter 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Jesus quoted this, if you remember. Jesus quoted Shema as this is being part of the most important thing that we have to do in Christianity. The word Shema comes from the first word of those verses, which is hear. In Hebrew, the word hear is the word Shema. You know, here's something interesting. There's no word in Hebrew for obey. The word for obey in Hebrew is Shema. God believes if you hear, you obey. It's automatic. And all the parents in the room, you know this because you tell your kids, did you hear me? <laughs> I told you, did you hear me? Why did you ask that? Because they're not doing what you said. If they would have heard what you said, you believe they would do what you said. Obedience and hearing go hand in hand in God's heart and in God's head. So he says, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one God, and you should love the Lord thy God with all thy soul. It's not a command to go and love God. It's a command to hear. If you hear the actual 
event that will occur, naturally will occur. If you hear God, you will naturally love him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. So how many of you guys have ever said, I'm going to speak this over somebody? Have you said that before? Have you believed that? Have you had the faith to think that if you, if you speak that over somebody, that's where this comes from? And so what they believed was that if your heart and your mind, your soul were connected in that way, that when you said those words and you spoke them into existence, that God would meet you there and actually do it. And they believed that. Do you believe that? And so they didn't just do this once, but they did it together as a family three times a day. So if you were in a good Hebrew family, you would start this way in the morning, praying these words over, through, and in your family, and then you would come back together in the midday, and you would do it again, and then at night you would come together and do it again. And in case you were forgetting, if three times a day wasn't enough, then every Friday night, right when the sun came down, you would gather in your family. Now, family doesn't just mean, in my case, Reed and Cade downstairs, and my wife and my two older kids that are in Tennessee right now. It means, this is my family. We circle up the wagons. Those that we are in covenant with actually outrank my worldly blood family because that blood has been replaced with blood that is pure. And so, so if you forget this, every single Friday night, you would shut the world out. Bolt up your doors and your windows and invite everybody in and you wouldn't open it up until the sun went for a whole rotation in which time you would be in the presence of those who were also not only speaking over their own lives but for 24 hours believed that when we came together we would speak in and through the lives of those around us when we didn't leave those doors until each person got that message. What if we lived like that today? This is entering into the Sabbath rest that it talks about in the New Testament. The Sabbath rest isn't a day in the New Testament. It's a person. His name is Christ. Right. You enter in and you yeah. never leave the house ever again. So good. This is salvation is never, ever leaving the house ever again. So the Sabbath doesn't just become a day. It becomes a life. Amen. Wow. This faith allegiance... This takes out of it all of the weirdness for the doctrine. One saved, always saved, save lost, save lost. You know, if I'm believing today, I have, no, I have all the confidence I will ever possibly need to possess the fact that I am saved. The only time that you ever have this challenge is when you have chosen to walk away in disbelief, to walk away without faith, to walk into the world's kingdom, to walk unto another God and go and live there, to leave the house. Yep. And so now we've come up with doctrines, and I call this pastoral theology, where a pastor, somebody walks up to him, Pastor, I'm sorry, I've been, I've been drunk and terrible all week long, I'm an evil person, I kicked the dog, I beat my wife up, I did all these kind of stuff, am I still saved? Do you tithe? Yeah, I tithe. Yeah, you're still saved. You know, once saved, always saved. I got, I got to share this. You said the word all earlier. The word all, you guys all, all know what it means. Like I, I say that means all in. Every time you hear this, I say all in. Now what's really interesting is that in Hebrew, the word, the generic word for all is kalal. 
It's K-A-L-A-L, that's the English transliteration. Now when you read it in the Bible, it's actually, this is one of the things that scholars look at the Bible and they scratch their head and go, why would they do it this way? It's K-O-L. That's the English transliteration. It's not written the same way. A simple word, all. Are you ready for this? It's not written the same way the rest of the ancient world wrote all. It was invented word. Used, you ready? 4,000 times in the Bible. This is, what, this is what scholars do. I sat down and made a list all 4,045 times. I won't read them all, but I want to read some. All, every... Every life, every entire, everything, everywhere, throughout, concerning everything, all things, all of these, always, throughout, completely, immensely, throughout the entire world, entire, I could keep going, and did you get the point? All in was meant to mean all in. And every time the Bible uses this word all, somebody that's reading in the, elite, in the original language would go, I think God wants all of me. It was, a, it was a very, very, and still is, clear message. Repeated over and over on purpose because we forget. And life comes. And stuff and things. And kids and family and jobs and, and all in. That's why three times a day, hear Shema. Now listen to this. In Exodus 19, this was, this is God. God talking to his people at the beginning of, hey, this is how you do the life. Now, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you will be my treasured possession. Where'd that treasured possession word come from? That's 1 Peter 2.9 that we just read. That verse that everybody loves in 1 Peter 2.9, just another Old Testament quote, that pointed to, hyperlinked to this massive idea of Shema. Here. And in this one, it's really interesting because God did this. Let me read it to you the way God said it. Now, if you will indeed Shema, Shema, and keep my covenant. If you'll hear, hear. If you'll obey, obey. You'll keep my covenant and you will be my treasured possession out of all the nations for the whole earth is mine. You'll be the special part out of all the parts. That's double the Shema, Shema, here, here. Double reiteration. Whenever you see that, it means so important. It's like two exclamation points after that. And the word uh, treasured possessions is segula. And that's another one of these words that we only see in the Bible. It's pretty neat. So what it's saying is at the very beginning of Eden, I created you to partner with you as the only thing that I'm putting at this level. Nothing else. Even over the angels as you read. This is our treasured possession. But it gets broken. It gets fallen. It gets destroyed. It gets put aside. And now what's happening? He's regathering. He said, I still want this. But what's crazy and I think this is just worth the, the little vacation. I'm going to box your ears for a second. Do you guys know what you're getting right here? I joke about this all the time, that this is like the 1%. So this morning, we had to drive a half hour south. And when we have to drive a half hour south, I say we're doing that on Sunday so we can drive another hour and a half and end up at Beloved Church. Now, I used to say I visit, I no longer use those words anymore because I'm here almost as much as my other church. But what's amazing 
is that what is happening here, I don't know if you guys realize it when you come and you listen to Stephen. I'm not putting Steve on a podium. He is somebody I deeply love and I'd like to put him on a podium. But do you realize what God is doing here is so great? And I say this because sometimes you don't get that. I just interviewed somebody because of the Jesus Revolution film that lived that out. He walked with Keith Green. He was in Greg Laurie's churches. He's one of the elders. And I I just interviewed him this week. And my question was, what would you change? And you know what he said? He said, when the Jesus movement happened, none of us really knew what was going on. He said, if we could have had the eyes to see It wouldn't have just been 3,000 on the beach that came to Jesus that day. It would have been 20 or 30 or 40,000 or something like that. Now, I do believe that there is a day that perhaps this is the training that little Lena, beloved family, is going to be 10 or 20,000 of people. That's the domino effect. But but I'm going to tell you this really carefully. Enjoy it while you're little. This is such a beautiful thing. This is, in fact, I tell him I won't pray this way, but my desire is that it stays little because I believe in the remnants of the intimacy. This is what God is going after. He's really not into the 50 or 60 or 80,000 that just wants to live lukewarm and claim Jesus on the beach. Woo, we're doing all this. What he wants is those that are all in, totally devoted, leave it on the beach and walk with everything that he's given you. And you know what? If there's only 75 or 175 in this building, he's a lot happier than that with the 10,000 every Sunday morning that claim to know Jesus but haven't got there. So my definition of salvation, to, to give this um, a conclusionary statement. I don't, I don't know if I'm ready. I don't know if they're ready to be done. I mean, we could go all day here. <laughs> oh, they're, 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 yeah, we got 24 hours, right? <laughs> Never leave the house. Lock the doors. Remember I said the main two beliefs in the body of Christ are save lost, save lost. Or once saved, always saved. So here's what Steve believes. And I invite you into this. This is what I'm going to be building my messaging out of. You have to believe. Today. You have to believe today. You have to be allegiant in your faith today. You have to be loyal in your faith today. Now you're going to probably take that kind of statement. You're going to want to add a bunch of stuff onto either side of it to try to come up with something else. I'm telling you, the belief in my heart is your salvation is that you are allegiantly loyal and faithful to God today, this moment. What would happen to you if you're not? Do you really want to know? When this much language revolves around everything I just said, my, this way of, of understanding the scriptures is going to have a thousand times more verses than anybody else with their different viewpoints. I'm telling you that salvation is contingent on you believing, you being loyal, and it is today. Hopi, are you able to bring up Titus 2, 11 and 12 at the end? No. 
I'll give you a second. Just want to reel this in. I want to, I want to kind of ask when you were when you lived in the first century, whether you were walking on the road to Emmaus or came in contact with the group, when you pledged your allegiance in the Lord, it was pledging everything. And what that meant yeah. is that is that you didn't return to your way of thinking. That's why that's why when God when God sends Jesus and they called the disciples, they didn't go back to fishing. And when after the resurrection happened and Jesus finds them, what did he find them doing? They were fishing. You kind of get this idea. He was a a little disgruntled. And so in Acts 2, you get the same idea that people were leaving things on the beach. And so the, the thing is that your life changed. It didn't go back to the ways of the world. So the next day, you, you pray this allegiant faith, and you're saying, my allegiance isn't anything else in the world. My obedience, my faith, my allegiance is fully in the Lord. And what that meant is the next day, you didn't go back. You joined this community of believers, and you got immersed. They studied the, the Bible four, five, six hours a day. This is Titus 2, 11 and 12. Grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts we should live soberly righteously and godly in the present age some translations say today or now go back to 11 for a second I'm just going to spend a second on this it says grace I like the translation this is NKJV most translations say that has appeared. That word is epiphaneo, epiphaneo. And again, it's kind of a new word. Now, phaneo was a regular word that meant had been revealed, but epi is like another exclamation point. We're learning a lot about exclamation points in Greek and Hebrew today. So it's double reiteration. It's only actually used twice. It's used right here about bringing grace and salvation. Then in Titus 3, 4, a chapter later, it says love has appeared. Those are the two times. Epiphaneo. Only time it's used. Two times I believe they made up this word just to reiterate how important it is. It means to manifest, which in Hebrew, sometimes even though it's New Testament, you have to read it in Hebrew, means to shine as of the full image of God. Praise God. Wow. So Jesus is in us. Steve started today asking, what is your eschatology? One of the things that this word epi does is it intensifies. What it means is it's the appearance of a divine rescue. Now, if you're rescued divinely, if you're pulled up into a helicopter because you were drowning in the ocean, do you want to go back to that the next day? Do you say, all right, I'm up here, give me a drink, give me some food, now drop me back in. I want to drown a little more. No. You want to be forever rescued. Right. Today, you can receive forever rescue. If you haven't claimed that, spoken it over your life, believed it, lived in it, you and your family. Today is the day that you believe, you claim it, and you live this way. You don't go back. Salvation. It's this word, and I could give you some fancy Greek words in maybe another day, but it means it was, it is, and it's yet to come. 
In theology, we call this the already not yet. It already happened, it's happening, and it hasn't happened yet because it's a journey. I'm not drawing a line anywhere on the ground for myself, my family, or anybody I come in contact with because it's not a line, it's an all-in decision. Believing loyalty, allegiant faith is my definition of salvation. Doc Ryan's definition, and I honestly would tell you the Bible's definition. I pray you're there. If you're not, today can be your night. So please rise. We're going to bless you. Thank you so much for sharing this time with us as we have encountered Jesus Christ through the ministry of his life-changing word. If you would like to learn more about Steve Castle Ministries and Beloved Church, you can go online to stevecastle.com or belovedchurchillinois.com. You can also contact us at 815-990-0367. Always remember that you are a part of the Beloved Family of God, and Beloved Church is the place where you are greatly loved. Now please open your heart to receive as Pastor Steve proclaims the blessing of the Father over your life. I pray, I declare that above all things that you allow the finished work of the cross to bring prosperity into your finances and also divine health prospering your body and all of these things are going to affect you in a supernatural way as you allow your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions and your personality to be perfected in prosperity that the Father desires for you to have. We love you and we cannot wait to see and be with you again soon. Goodbye, beloved.